right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. I'm your host, Bryce, and uh, I'm joined, as always, by my trusty compadre, Mr. Aaron, a.k.a. Pizza Mind. Um, and, and things are going good by us. We're surviving another week here in, in crypto. Nothing's crazier than the crypto world, let me tell you, this month especially. But uh, Pete, you're surviving. You're, you're doing all right. Yeah, I just came back from a tour of Europe. Uh, what I miss? <laughs> What'd you miss? What'd you miss? Uh, check out the Crypto Rundown on YouTube. Uh, if you check out the Crypto Rundown on YouTube while you were away, I was recording uh, some videos here on YouTube about what was going on. But without further ado, I'm going to introduce our guest here for the uh, for the podcast, Jacob Blish, who's the head of business development and partnerships here at Lido. So welcome, Jacob, to the Crypto 101 podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, we're excited. Uh, we're excited to dive into to Lido, which is a huge platform. You know, it's a top 50 crypto coin. Uh, and uh, you guys have been doing some amazing work, accumulated billions of dollars of total value locked on the liquid staking derivatives platform. Uh, and I'm excited to, to dive into some Ethereum 2.0 stuff and, and just see where, where your head's at. But let's first get acquainted here with the audience. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you kind of dove into uh, cryptocurrency. Yeah, my background is jack of all trades. Um, historically, that means it's been hard to get a job because they're like, you're good at a lot of things. <laughs> but um, out of college, a did, uh, B2C. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, out of college, started a um, couple different companies in the B2C space, like most 20-something-year-olds sold t-shirts and coffee and whatever else seemed cool at the time. Um, learned a tremendous amount and then wanted to try the big city for a while. So went down to New York and worked at JP Morgan. And that's actually around nice. 2016, 2018 is when I discovered crypto um, while I was working in the business intelligence side there living in New York. It was a hub for, for all things blockchain. So started hearing about it, started researching it. Like most fintech bros back in those days, I was gambling on them and it was hilarious and fun. And then discovered that there's some cool tech underneath and like there's actually some unique problems that it can solve. Then that became the hobby that I was spending more time doing that than I was working. So um, Realized I need to step out and go into this space now or never. So I jumped out right as the market crashed in 2018. Perfect timing when I was rich on paper crypto and immediately needed a job 40 days later. So um, <laughs> went over to Consensus, which is a big Ethereum too familiar um, blockchain studio. <laughs> hey, babe, I'm rich. We don't have to do any more work. Oh, my God, I need a job within the same <laughs> month. Um, <laughs> so I ended up at Consensus for about two years doing token economics and system design, basically game theory, how to get people to, to behave in a certain way. Um, did some work in self-sovereign identity, then started up another startup in the identity space worked at another blockchain um, foundation called Near, and then eventually got a job offer or I guess a DAO offer to work over at Lido. So I've kind of touched on a tough ton of different uh, facets of the space and different opportunities and roles. Funny enough, uh, Bryce used to be the head of biz dev at a former company we worked for, and he was my boss. And um, working <laughs> in biz dev, I thought was the greatest space to be in because you just talk to people all day. You make things happen. You know, there's the cliche that your network is your net worth. And as a biz dev guy, like you are the key holder to that network. Uh, and you're probably known better than 
you know, 99% of other people in the space by the people in the space that matter the most. So it's, it's an amazing position to be in. Do you feel like it's better to be in biz dev during the bear market where things are a lot quieter or in the bull market where people are knocking down your door 24 seven trying to get, you probably get more dinners bought for you during the bull market. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say it depends on the definition for actually getting work done with a lot more signal to noise. I prefer, I personally prefer the bear overall because you have the true builders and the people that are here for the right reasons and the mission and the vision. But I will say it's a lot easier to be the bell of the ball. And like you mentioned, have dinners bought for you and party and go to the big events during the bull market because everyone's going to be out, everyone's traveling. So access is increased and easy because um, money's no longer a concern. But in the bear market, it's easier to get a hold of the real workers instead of the, uh, the fair weather fans, I guess. Yeah. A little bit of and- both, but me personally, I'd say bear market. Yeah. And you're not, you know, a fair weather fellow here in the crypto world. You've been around for a long time. You've got a broad experience in finance as well. But what do you think DeFi in particular really um, enables that wasn't really possible before Ethereum or before crypto? So the the maxis go about like, don't trust, verify, remove all intermediaries. And I I agree with that. And that's great. But I think it's an over oversimplification. I'm a huge pragmatist on this stuff that taking my mom as an example, she doesn't know how the internet works, but she knows how to use the internet. She right. can go to Facebook, see what her friends are doing, check out cat videos on YouTube. Like she can get the things she needs without understanding how it works. And I don't think we're there yet from a usability standpoint, but the main thing DeFi offers in my mind, at least when we keep evolving to the end state is it provides optionality so you can choose where on the spectrum of trustless or trusted that you want to go. A mm. lot of people like things like insurance, chargebacks, guarantees that the product's going to be delivered. Because if I buy with Bitcoin on eBay and they just sh- don't ever ship the product, what's my recourse? So you have to build an identity and reputation, and that means you give up elements of control. Now, if you want to be a total anarchist and exist off the grid, you can do that with crypto. But if you aren't like that, which a large majority of the population isn't going to want to manage their own keys, manage their own financial systems, be okay without chargebacks or returns if they try to buy something, a lot of people are going to end up somewhere closer to the middle where they maybe don't want full control of assets by some third party like a bank, but they want the option to choose up to the level of risk or work or load that they're going to take on. So for me, I'm more towards that self-sovereign side. I don't mind managing myself. I don't mind digging into the technical sides. But for a lot of people, they're not going to want to remember a hexadecimal address. And if they send it to the wrong address, sorry, your money's gone. Your SOL. Like that, mm-hmm. that sounds like a terrible user experience. So I think what really it will do is allow that optionality where, hey, I don't want to have my money on a bank. I don't trust banks. Okay. There's degrees that you can step away from a bank. Or if you like banks, you can stay in banks and still access crypto. Um, But the biggest thing is allowing you to choose what level of control you have over your data, your financial information, eventually medical records, anything that identifies you as a person or an entity, I guess. Yeah. I used to remember my Windows license key, and then I got a life. Um, (laughs) Over at Lido, you guys are really the pioneers of something that's rather new in this industry. It's called liquid staking. 
And what that enables right now on your platform is people who have their Ethereum that's converted to ETH 2.0 tokens in this new merge network that are still locked. They're locked in the smart contract that can't be removed. How do you guys come in and provide a solution for that problem? Yeah, so for all proof-of-stake blockchains, there's a bit of a paradox of choice. You either provide a service to the network, you're helping secure and order transactions by staking your collateral or your assets, and then in return, you're getting a nominal reward rate of whatever the the inflation of the underlying um, network is. The problem is when you lock up those, those tokens, they're illiquid. So you have to choose, do I lock up my tokens for a nominal reward rate? Or do I go and play around in DeFi, higher risk, higher reward, and potentially earn much better rewards? And the problem is game theory says people are going to be greedy. Altruism doesn't go work at scale. So you put yeah, the Yeah, we found that one out with Sam Bankman Freed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's, let's not get into oh, that. Oh, yeah. Right How's now. he doing no, these I, days? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't think he's doing too well. But we'll, we'll kind of see how things go over the next couple of months, I guess. Um, but what we, we saw as a problem is just like proof of work in Bitcoin, economies of scale and large institutions are going to end up controlling a large portion of the stake because anyone that can run five nines uptime enterprise grade scale is going to inevitably have more stake available and more infrastructure for cheaper. So they're going to start winning. So liquid staking allows you to keep a network decentralized and also avoid that paradox of choice where a user is able to stake and what we give them is a liquid representation of that token. And then they can choose to just sit on it and hold it, or they can also take trading strategies up to their risk level of choice for higher risk, higher reward. Um, so the, the basic way we describe it, or I think of it personally, is it's like a coat check claim. When you go to a venue, you give them your coat, they give you a ticket. Whoever owns that ticket gets the, the underlying coat when it's time. So if I give one of you this coat check ticket, you now have full rights to the code and you can go analogy. and grab it at any point. Um, so that's, that's how we view it is it's a, it's always going to be worth or a, a certificate of deposit. If you want to think of it in the more mm -hmm. financial terms. Yeah. And just to play uh, devil's advocate, just because we're in a period of immense skepticism amongst uh, the market, I'll just have to play into that a little bit. But, you know, the IOU, there, there just seems like there's maybe an inherent vulnerability there because maybe the coat uh, gets stolen. And now I just have the, the, the coat check claim and no coat to redeem. Uh, or maybe I have the staked Ethereum token and, and no ethereum to, to one day be redeemed for and of course in you know lido's circumstance that's not um you know a huge risk but there are other bridges where there's you know tokens that are stolen um there's centralized sort of uh you know backdoor deals where assets are loaned out so when you go to redeem your claim there's nothing to redeem and so long story short the, the question is like how does lido think about these sort of uh you know um I guess mechanics, like the redemption mechanics between one Ethereum versus one staked Ethereum. How do you kind of make sure that it's always backed one for one, that uh, you know, you're going to have a, a robust system so there's no run on Lido, basically? Yeah, great question. And <clears throat> the biggest thing is every single one of our SD assets is backed one to one with the underlying native token. So sticking with Ethereum for, for an example, 
there is only as much ST ETH as there is ETH in our contracts. It's physically impossible to mint another one without receiving a physical deposit. And, and it's all on chain. And it's all on chain. There are some edge case potential attack vectors, which we are aware of and working on to fix. Of course, we would like everything to be perfect and decentralized out of the box. But I also describe it like a baby bird. You don't just shove it out of the nest and say fly. You've got to <laughs> give it a chance to grow up and figure out how to fly before you shove it off a cliff. Um, so same thing for us. We made some design decisions back in the end of 2020 when we were first being formed. Lido is non-custodial. We don't have any control of user assets. However, because you can't withdraw, there is a potential risk in the sense of if a hack is found in the beacon chain or our smart contracts. So to mitigate that, we do a multi-million dollar ongoing bug bounty. So if anyone finds critical vulnerabilities, we will pay them a significant sum. Nice. Um, we get audits regularly. Anytime any code is changed at the, the protocol level, we get multiple different audits as best as we can to cover a wide view to make sure we're not missing anything. Um, we, Lido, tend to be a much more conservative, slower protocol, good or bad. That's to be determined, but we take a slower, more methodical approach and are more conservative because we would rather be right than move fast and lose a couple billion dollars and have to deal with the implications of that. Um, some other things that have come up is we have an ongoing discussion and proposal around what we call dual governance. One of these potential attack vectors is if a madman or a colluding group were to buy a vast majority of our governance token they could potentially pass proposals that do odd things that gamify the system. So dual token governance basically adds a fail switch or a veto clause for STETH holders outside of the governance token itself. So that if there's a proposal that looks like it's going to get passed, there's a veto period once this is live, where STETH wow. holders, aka the larger Ethereum community, can say, pause. They can't change anything about it, but they can say, pause. This needs to be discussed more because there might be an issue here. So they won't let potentially a billionaire or a consortium that tries to take control of Lido's governance process. So we're building more fail safes in that, diversifying our validator and operator set. So right now we have about 29 node operators that power the underlying staking mechanisms of our protocol. We're working to continue building that out with more players, eventually moving to solo stakers. So right now, if someone has 32 ETH in stakes, they can't stake with us. So allowing that as an option so they can get access to STETH and then eventually permissionless. The problem with permissionless from a high level is someone, I always joke about a, a person named Bob, but Bob might be running node operations in his garage. He may not be malicious, but he might be incompetent. Do we want to trust Bob with hundreds of millions of dollars of staked ETH? Well, maybe, but we should prove that he's competent and capable first. And that's where identity and reputation stuff comes in. Mm. So we're working on permissionless validators, but that's going to take a little bit more time. And we have to create a process that allows them to show competency and build a reputation before we will trust them with tons of other people's money effectively. Wow. That makes sense. I mean, so there's a lot of things we're ready to have <laughs> thousands of people like Bob, but there's tens of thousands of nodes. So when Bob's asleep at the switch, the network can automatically say, I don't know, Bob, think you're drunk. You know, go go pass out and come back tomorrow and we'll check your transactions again uh, when they look correct. And 
Exactly. And that gets into, I, I don't want to get too technical, um, but that gets into the real bleeding edge tech of like distributed validator technology, which is Obel and SSV are two companies working on this, which is taking a validator's key and breaking it into pieces exactly for that. So yeah. if one part of the wow. key is asleep at the wheel or their computer blows up, they can still keep that, that validator online and not be slashed. Awesome. Uh, besides Ethereum, do you do any other liquid staking of other tokens as well? We do. We're Lido's currently live on Solana, Polygon, Kusama, and Polkadot. Um, Kusama is the testnet for the Polkadot ecosystem. We're in current build mode for Avalanche and Near, as well as Cosmos. And then we're researching a few other larger chains. But as the market keeps yo-yoing, it comes down to looking at the risk vectors, how DeFi is growing, the adoption of the underlying chain. So there's a lot of market research that goes in for, for future ones. Awesome. Can you tell us a little more uh, in depth about staking? Um, since it feels like you know staking is a really large component of Lido. Um, and, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about how does it generate yield or returns, right? Like where does it come from in the Lido sort of world? And then as well, um, you know, I guess, I guess the question I'm trying to think of is, is like not only where does the yield come from, but how long does the subsidy or the yield go on for? Yeah. So just for simplicity, I'll stick with Ethereum because that's the one most people generally know. Um, but most proof of stake systems have some sort of monetary inflation policy where some new amount of the native token is being created every year or per block or per whatever the time epoch frame is. So for Ethereum, there's a fixed amount of new ETH that is created every year. And that is an incentive to keep people actively engaged. And the ones that are not active will slowly be eroded out of their position of potential power. So since that's a fixed basket of rewards every year, that creates a sliding mechanism that the more people that are staking that means that pool is split between more people, so your reward rate goes down. But that also means if less people are staking, that reward rate effectively goes up. So it creates a equilibrium mechanism where if not enough people are staking, you might be seeing 20% rewards rate. That's really attractive. Let me go and stake. If too many people are staking and it's down to like, I'm making numbers up, a half a percent per year of a reward where you're like, ah, I can go into a treasury bill from the US Treasury and get 4%, like I'm not going to stay over here. So that's generally how the, the mechanisms work. And as of right now, at least for Ethereum, that is going to continue in perpetuity. They might make a future update to cap that and have an upward limit at some point, but that's to be determined on most of these networks. So that's where the continued reward rate comes from. And very uh, transparently, the way Lido makes revenue as a protocol is for providing the service of a liquid representation of that token, we charge 10% of the reward rate. So if Ethereum's giving 5.5% rewards, we take 0.5 of that as our, our revenue for our infrastructure partners, operating costs, all the business 101 stuff. Keep the lights on. Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi Video Lock, a smart lock a 2K camera, and a doorbell all-in-one. 
That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months, but don't worry when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recordings. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy video lock is 24 seven. So you don't have to worry about any issues you have and it comes with an 18 month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one with the three-in-one. You don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's a new term that's coming out in the Cosmos system called superfluid staking, which is like taking it to the next level. Where so not only are you earning these you know network tokens, but potentially tokens of other networks as well, while still being able to take that derivative and move it on the open market. And it's this real innovation towards more capital efficiency that uh, is kind of driving the next wave of DeFi. Are there any other things that you're hearing in terms of the basically in the capital efficiency space that have caught your ears that sound like it's going to be another next big innovation or that you would love to do over there at Lido? So there's some things that we think are really effective from Superfluid. One of the components I really like is it focuses on more liquidity being available. So the deeper the liquidity pools are, the more capital efficient it is, the larger amounts of trades can go through without... Um, altering the the exchange or the price rate, which is really good. For us, there's some things that we, meaning Lido, probably won't build, but we would love to see other groups build using ours or other liquid staking assets because of their reward-bearing properties. So the DeFi protocol Alchemix was really a pioneer in this space with a self-repaying loan, if you're not familiar with them. They basically, when you collateralize some debt to borrow a stable coin or what have you, 
they put that debt to work in a relatively safe way that earns a modest yield, and thus you don't get to you don't have to pay any um, interest on your your debt. So you could effectively go. And I know some people that did this. They took out a loan of Dai, converted it to fiat, and bought like a car. And they're like, hey, I get a free car that's self repaying itself over the next five years. <laughs> um, I think things like that are really interesting, if especially from the context of if we believe DeFi will slowly chip away at traditional finance and other parts of industry, and we do believe in the long-term adoption of it, then things that are able to take the underlying mechanisms that generate rewards and then turn those into other more advanced products for other users or institutions is really interesting. So I know stable coins are a very love-hate world we live in, but right now... The models are you have fractional UST, and those have historically blown up. You have over-collateralized like DAI, very capital inefficient, but it's really stable. And then you have the fiat-backed USDC, USDT, where it's just a bunch of dollars relative to a dollar coin. Um, I'd really love to see like a interest-bearing or reward-bearing backed stable coin, but not tied to a fiat system. Because eventually, if we really mm. believe crypto will be or Web3 will be a thing, we can't always price in US dollars. And candidly, I still price a lot of my stuff day to day in dollars because it's how I purchase 90% of my goods is I'm here in the US. Um, I would love to see like a free floating backed stable coin powered by reward bearing assets that are powered by themselves, the underlying blockchains that we're all building on. Because that, that was kind of what Luna tried to be in Terra, right? I mean, I remember the whole yield mechanism <laughs> but it wasn't for fully, yeah, was supposed to be staked, but it wasn't fully collateralized. And right. I, I, I can't, I can't speak to Do Kwan's true intentions or what he was thinking, but it, he seemed to have been realizing that if he really wanted UST to fully grow, he was going to have to start collateralizing it and make it more like a fully backed stablecoin. He just didn't get there. For, yeah. for many reasons. Um, <laughs> for, yeah. we, we saw a large impact because that was our second largest um, deployment before Terra blew up. So that, that definitely was a, a gut blow to us. Yeah. What, what was going on during that time? Like, uh, you know, I think everybody was kind of, you know, looking at Luna and said, hey, you know, there's, there's a couple holes in the, in the idea, but smart people like it. Alameda and Three Errors Capital, right? Who are now in retrospect belly up because of the whole Luna debacle. Um, but yeah. you know, you know, Luna was was a stakeable asset through Lido. Um, and so, how was how was how are you guys thinking about that during that time? So we have we try to be as best as we can, good guy Greg, where we can. But at the end of the day. Leverage is a hell of a drug. You need to use it responsibly. And we're not your mother. If you choose to over leverage or chase 20% APR on a questionable um, platform, like it was great. Of course, 20% is interesting, but you have to ask, or at least I logically ask, this can't last forever. There's This is clearly yeah. being funded by someone. Or if it is in perpetuity, like I'd really like to understand how they're getting 20% because I'm really intrigued by that. Um, so for us, we we tried to do meaningful things. And we did this as well when um, after the Terra collapse, when people were over leveraged on like Ave and the whole market declined, we were like, hey, there's some positions that are over leveraged and at risk of getting liquidated. You guys might want to unwind your positions, but we can't make you do that. That's the 
beauty of DeFi. We can't force your hand. Um, so we did the best we could. We opened up an extra pool. We spent about $2 million to provide a small window for people to unleverage. But the reality is when the market wants to go down 50 points, it will take all the money we throw at it and then still go down 50 points. So all we can do is provide safety rails and information and guidance about being responsible. But, yeah. you know, I, I guess for a last comparison, it's a casino. Like if you go in there and put your house mortgage on black on the roulette table, it's like, I, that's probably a bad idea, but we're, we're not going to stop you. <laughs> and the the USTs or the the anchor protocols of the world, they're not going to stop you either because they're going to make money on you throwing all that money on black. So yeah, we just tell people be responsible and make adult decisions. <laughs> yeah, one of the one of the things I think that's cool about Lido is that you know if if you could you could still earn a yield in your Ethereum even if you don't have 32 Ethereum to run a staking node. Um, but is that something that you could also do through Coinbase? And, and if so, what are the differences between staking your Ethereum on Coinbase and then using something like Lido? Yeah, so <clears throat> Coinbase, the, the most practical is they charge 25 basis points. We charge 10, so they're more expensive. But they provide a very streamlined ecosystem that's so easy you can swipe a credit card sign up with your email and you have exposure to the to the space um more fundamentally it's we it's like the kindle replacing paperback books i don't think it's going to be the death knell of like all centralized systems but i think the past year has shown with celsius and three arrows and now ftx it's really shown that if you don't control your funds and you can't see what's behind the curtain, there's a level of risk and trust that needs to be involved. And I'm, I am not implying Coinbase is bad or good, but we are seeing historic patterns, fool me once, fool me twice, that if you're accepting that risk, that is a level of risk. Now, that's not to say Lido or DeFi isn't without risk. There's smart contract risk, protocol level risk, there's regulatory risk, um, unknowns, but for us, we view Lido or other liquid staking decentralized protocols as a counterweight for users. Again, going back to the optionality, if you want to have more granular control and optics into exactly what's happening with your funds, we provide a system that lets you see exactly how the sausage is made, as it were. And we believe over time, take the big banks when they settle through like SWIFT network, they all have to trust each other and swift that like hey b of a you owe us 100 million dollars well we say you only we only owe you 70 million dollars now we have to get into arbitration the nice mm-hmm. part is where we see DeFi coming in is they will both be able to look at a publicly auditable ledger and say yes we we do agree that we each owe each other this amount and we have ten thousand people all agreeing on it as well so i think that's where we view our place in the ecosystem as a a more granular controlled counterweight no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Is there any impact that that Lido has from kind of FTX blowing up, or is that something that's like, hey, it's just a crappy instance for us, but you know, we don't have any really direct sort of exposures? Yeah. So, um, FTX or Alameda were involved in one of our treasury diversification rounds last year, so they held a position in our governance token LDO. Um, They also owned a position of STETH, which they accumulated on their own. Um, But like anyone that owns our tokens, Three Arrows Capital and Celsius were other examples. 
how they use them and what they do with them, we have no control over. So from that perspective, we had no exposure, but FTX was dumping their positions of our assets. So that impacts the the price a little bit, but you know, that's not bad. That's just market dynamics. Mm -hmm. Um, More broadly, FTX was one of the most liquid centralized exchanges for a couple of our assets. So that impacts liquidity in terms of centralized exchanges. But in terms of the protocol, the security of the the protocol and the tech, we have no no direct um, exposure. The the biggest pain in the butt is more what it does to the whole ecosystem. It just I personally think it's going to set us back for a year or two because mm. now we have to earn our trust again right. because we're this shiny techno bobble that keeps losing hundreds of millions of dollars on bridges every few months. And then we have the occasional exchange blow up and it's like, well, you should trust us, just not those guys. And it's like, yeah. we're going to become guilty by association. <laughs> yeah. It's a shame, man. It's a shame. It, it, it reminds me of one of those quotes um, from like Google, right? Their, their quote is like, don't be evil. Um, but blockchain does enable a company to have a quote of can't be evil, right? Like kind of that could be like Lido's quote, right? Like you said, you can see how the sausage is made. You can see where the risk lies, where the collateral is, what the debt's issued against. Um, and there can no, never be any of these big runs on the bank. Um, and, and there's a lot of really interesting sort of uh, companies that are out there or projects or DAOs that are working on stuff like that. I know f- we spoke to the founder of Frax recently, Sam mm-hmm. Gazeman. He's doing some Sam's really awesome. interesting... Yeah, he's doing some really cool stuff with uh, his decentralized central bank uh, and his fractional stablecoin. Um, so I think there's a lot of good ideas, but at the end of the day, blockchain is kind of like can't be evil. Is that a statement you would agree with? Yeah, and it's it frustrates me to this day because about a month ago I heard a quote or I saw read a quote on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, but it basically was. We've had privacy preserving and compliant money before. Fiat, US dollars, they're privacy preserving because when you buy something in cash, it's untraceable, but it's also compliant and regulated. Well, we should be able to get to the same point with blockchain. We still have some work to do, but I, I agree. If you need public auditability where you don't have to trust JP Morgan, not picking on banks just for reference names, Mm-hmm. picking a bank, like I use Chase, that's why I mentioned them, but I trust Chase to say, this is how much money I do or I do not have. And it's effectively an IOU and they insure it up to a certain point. But I like the idea of, I don't have to trust them. I can trust a group of thousands of people or groups, entities, what have you to verify that it is or is not correct. Um, and then I can add privacy as needed for certain things. Cause I don't want to air all my dirty laundry when I go shopping sometimes. <laughs> you know, I'd really like to believe that blockchain can't be evil, but, but there's a lot if of it's centralized enough. Uh, there could be some things put in there. I know Vitalik just uh, today or the other day was talking about potentially rolling back transactions and Ethereum has had a history of doing stuff like that for better or for worse. Um, now you've got like 99% of, the RPC nodes running through consensus, which has a majority ownership in a lot of uh, traditional finance, JP Morgan being one of them. So there's a real concern of centralized authority over a lot of these decentralized networks uh, coming. And it doesn't even require them to 
you know, accumulate the majority of the tokens, but rather connection nodes, basic infrastructure, things like that. Is that just a lot of paranoia or is that a real uh, potential attack vector that we need to pay attention to and um, make sure that, you know, our staked ETH is in many different locations and not just all on Coinbase, for example? So we, <clears throat> this is probably the biggest and most unsexy part of our job, and it's not my day-to-day -day job. Thankfully, it's part of our node operations team. Um, basically, this is something we constantly are looking at. We have decentralization is on a, it's like an onion to use that, I guess. It's you zoom up or zoom down the stack. There's just more and more layers to it. For that exact reason, things that we work on is like, all of our node operators, if they're running validators, making sure they're not all on cloud. They should be on cloud as well as on-premise. They need to be in different regulatory jurisdictions, so they can't all be in the U.S. Because if the U.S. puts the ban hammer down, what are we going to do? Kind of like when China banned all crypto. Um, we want to make sure they're not all running the same software. And if they are cloud, they're not all on the same cloud, AWS and Google and Microsoft. Um, if they're running the the certain clients for ETH2, making sure it's not all Lighthouse, that it's a mix of them. So if one has a bug, the newest one that's recently come up in our discussions is exactly this, Infura. Infura is a great service to the industry, but like you mentioned, they have a large majority going through. And if they ever change terms of service or institute new rules or OFAC compliance, that causes a big problem. So we're starting to look more aggressively at how do we work with other teams to diversify the RPC endpoints? Then it's even is something as basic as who controls the Ethereum GitHub? How many people have access to actually push code for Ethereum updates? So it's it's just this never-ending, it's like you zoom in on, a, on an atom and then you're like, oh, there's protons. Then you zoom in on those and it's like, oh, there's quarks. And then we keep finding more things as we go down. I think it's going to be the same. It's using another one from growing up, it's like the whole BitTorrent versus buying digital music before streaming came along. Well, here's a CD. Well, here's a DVD. And then people keep hacking each version. It's going to be this constant battle or game of cat and mouse. So I think it is a very important conversation, but I don't think it's relevant to the vast majority of users. It's going to be really up to the builders and the regulators to kind of figure out the best path forward. But it's, I don't think that work will ever end, candidly. I think there's always yeah. going to be having to look at the next attack vector wherever it might sit in the stack. But it gives me ease to hear that you guys are aware and actively managing that kind of situation to as many layers of the onion as you can. Yeah. And, you know, again, going back to an earlier point, I wish we could do it all at once, but we're a finite team with finite amounts of capital. So we, <laughs> we have to pick which dumpster fire we're going to put out in a given day. <laughs> And in crypto, you never know what that might be. And then you have the occasional thing blowing up for five hundred million or a couple billion dollars, which just adds that that yellow aspect to it. Yeah, and occasionally the owners of the dumpster will dive into that fire and start digging stuff out and run <laughs> off with it. Yes, exactly. Um, I, before we let you go, Jacob, quickly, um, are you guys going to be adding any other coins or networks to the platform? Um, is it going to be more cross-chain focused or really what's next for, for Lido? Um, from the most direct year or two, it's going to be expanding to the protocols mentioned, Avalanche, Near. Um, we're, we're researching some others like BNB and Aptos and Sui. But like I said, we need to see that it's economically viable, that they get picked up for long-term adoption. 
Um, yeah. There's just a lot of research that needs to go into the the economic side because liquid staking is not a high margin business. You know, we're not like Salesforce where we make 70 cents on the dollar. It's we make razor thin margins. So it's a volume based play as a public good. So expanding out to our best guess of where growth is going to happen for new protocols. Working to decentralize as best as we can, both our protocol and the tech stack that we work on. And then long term, my aspiration is building, as, as most eventually evolve to, is I would really love to turn Lido into a platform that more DeFi protocols build on top of, again, using our reward-bearing assets. Because I think you can do very cool things like, for example, I would love to sell to like a big Fidelity-type player so they could build structured products for their end clients mm. that are powered by our assets. That to me would be like the penultimate goal is finding a path forward there because then you can create these custom products for your end users depending on what their needs are. Hopefully not in a mortgage-backed security type of way <laughs> from 08 or 09. Something a little bit sturdier, something a little bit more publicly auditable. Um, yes. Which would, you know, solve a, a lot of the issues that the, the mortgage backed security business ran into. So I think that, you know, that's a beautiful vision and it's a good future that, that we're working towards together. And I support that vision. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, like, you know, I'm a big supporter, uh, a holder of Lido tokens, affiliates of mine as well. Um, and Pete's, I know, know we've had some conversations about this coin and this platform. And hey, all I can say is, is you guys have a lot of really smart people working on it, and you guys have a product that works. It's got a, um, you know, it's funny. So there's so many tokens that have billions of dollars of valuation, but like you know, the product's still, you know, kind of on the fritz. And your thing works, man. It, it's got billions of dollars of not only token value, but like you know, usage. Um, so keep doing what you're doing and, and give a give a thumbs up from the Crypto 101 team to the Lido team uh, for, for all the good work you guys are doing. Yeah, thank you, guys. Um, I'd say the biggest thing I've enjoyed about being here is like you touched on, it's we have product market fit. Mm -hmm. It's a relatively unsexy, but very important problem to work on. And I get to talk to really smart people I admire in the <laughs> space, which is awesome. So best job I'm enjoying ever. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although the line between work and hobby and work-life balance sometimes gets skewed, but <laughs> that's my problem. It just to depends who's picking up the dinner bill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, man, well, next time you're, you're down by us, we'll, we'll pick up the dinner bill. Um, and yeah, Jacob, we, we'd love to have you back on the show whenever you want. It's been great to speak with you. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Thank you, guys. All right, everybody who's uh, at home watching, uh, we hope you have a great rest of your day. And we'll see you back next week with some more great guests. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.